When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your ears do not deceive you. You have just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. All right. Hello. This is uh, Jimmy Gasparro. Welcome to another exciting episode of Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. Um, I have a very exciting interview uh, tonight. Uh, that someone I've been following on uh, Twitter. I'm familiar with their work from some Kickstarter projects I've backed and uh, very excited to talk today to artist, professor, and uh, also uh, a writer in, in, in his own right, um, uh, Jay uh, Sheik. Jay, welcome to the program. Thank you. Nice. nice thank you for having me. Sorry. <laughs> like, I was all set to go. And then, uh, yeah, my, my entire vocabulary just abandoned me there. Uh, <laughs> thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, no problem. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for being here. And um, I know by the time we're recording this, you're involved in at least one Kickstarter project that I know of that I think will hopefully have successfully been funded by the by the time this airs. But I kind of wanted to jump in to talk about uh, Hallowed North first, if we could. Absolutely. So right now, uh, as we record this, the Kickstarter campaign is winding down for Hallowed North uh, number two. And um, so I was just curious in terms of how uh, it's, it's written by uh, Jeremiah Espinoza. And I'm just kind of yes. curious as to how you got involved with that uh, project uh, initially. Um, Jeremiah had seen my work on Twitter, I believe, um, just recounting him, him telling, telling it. Uh, and that had led him eventually to my website. And then he, he sent in, I have a contact form on there uh, for uh, I mean, anybody, anybody wanting to hire me for a project. There's, you know, you, it goes directly to my email. Um, and he hit me up and, you know, like I get occasional feelers through the website. Most of the, like the paid work I get tends to come directly through Twitter and like DMs or sometimes as a, um, you know, word of mouth from a, uh, previous collaborator or client, they'll they'll recommend me to somebody else. Uh, but the thing that really caught me on it was that he was doing a comic book specifically on bipolar disorder, depression, and anxiety, uh, sort of right. embodied as, as as like a monster or a series of monsters and a kid, you know, fighting that. And um, bipolar disorder it was something I was previously diagnosed with. I'm less confident in that now. I think most of my issues kind of stem more from ADHD, something I didn't know I had for the first 40 or so years of my life. But, um, you know, having been painted with that brush, um, having family members who are certainly in, in the bipolar camp, um, I felt an immediate like personal uh, magnetism to it. And it felt like something, uh, important to me and that I, I, I really wanted to be a part of. Uh, so, you know, without hesitation, I said, yeah, please, I, I'd love to draw this. And, um, it went through a few different iterations. It was going to be a graphic novel originally. 
And then looking at trying to fund something that big through Kickstarter, uh, Jeremiah decided to break it down in, in, into individual issues, which I think was a, a really good idea. The first one was uh, resounding success for uh, how quickly it funded and the reception's been uh, overwhelmingly positive. Uh, and it feels like the momentum has really followed nicely into the second issue. That's good. Yeah, I I backed um, the first issue and I found, I mean, the first issue I thought um, very powerful. I, I don't say that lightly. I mean, it really had an, an impact on me in terms of the the storytelling in the writing, but also your, you know, visuals and your, your visual storytelling. Um, I, I feel like some of your other artwork that I've seen, it really lent itself to the darkness at times, the, the, the shadows of, uh, what I think both of you, you know, were trying to get across, at least in terms of what I got out of it. Um, was any part of that in particular, you know, difficult for for you because if you you felt a personal connection to it is that sometimes more difficult to get into rather than just any other like work for hire job this one i i i wouldn't say difficult there there was a scene in there um kind of middle of the book when ben is getting ready to leave the house and his, his brother basically says well then why don't you just die uh or you know words, words to that effect in reference to mm -hmm. his depression and it being something like an annoyance or an inconvenience to him. And, uh, you know, just reading that page in the script was just like a, an ice dagger to the heart. Like, <laughs> like I've never had anybody say that to me. Um, but I have gotten, you know, the, the impression that, you know, like emotions are a heavy thing. And sometimes I, I know I, I can be kind of open or free with, with my own, uh, and I've, I've sensed that being an inconvenience or, you know, just kind of like, um, you know, you can't set those groceries here kind of thing. Um, and so that, that was something I connected with on the whole, though, because of the connection, I, I felt like, um, I don't know, it got me excited in a way, too, uh, which which really made it go very smoothly and very quickly. And with it being, you know, largely realistic human figures, uh, you know, just since kind of breaking out professionally into comics and getting to try a, a, a broad range of different genre and, and uh, story styles and things, um, anything kind of like crime, noir, uh, horror uh, with, with largely human characters uh, has kind of become my, I would say like my area of expertise, but the, the thing that comes most naturally to me uh, and, and suits my default style, uh, the, the smoothest anyway. Okay. Well, speaking of your your style and you know art in general, so um, I mean, when did you get started? When did you first think you first you know started? Did you, have you been drawing and you know artistic since you were a kid, or did it come to you later? Yeah, I, I, it's kind of a I'd say kind of a commonality with a lot of a lot of artists I meet is that most of us started as little kids. Um, when I was little, I'd have to go to work with my mom. Uh, she owned a hair salon in the small town where where I grew up, and uh, on on the days that I did go into work with her, the scratch pads would disappear off of the desk, and I'd crawl underneath there, and I'd be sitting there drawing really terrible like brontosaurs all day. Uh, <laughs> you know, stick figures with like super long hair and dots for noses and things. And, um, I think, you know, it's, 
one of those things, it was one of the few things that I could do, you know, like video games weren't as ubiquitous as they are now. I think it was the NES would have just come out around that time. And, um, you know, it it was an antidote to boredom for me. And you you do a few things and you get some praise for it or, you know, some positive recognition and it it starts to Mm -hmm. feel good. And then you kind of up the ante with the next one, uh, you know, to the point where I'm trying to figure where, I mean, where comic books hit for me was the, the only thing I can pinpoint is that Simpsons episode where Bart Milhouse and Martin pool their money to buy radioactive man. Number one, because I remember from that point, I started like, snapping up all the construction paper in the house and I'd pull it in half and staple it down the middle. And I was drawing my own radioactive man comics or Robotron. I actually still have a few of those around somewhere from the late eighties, early nineties. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Um, So like going from there though, where do you think, like when do you think, Oh, I could do, you know, this, as a you know, as a career, or at least I could do this professionally. Like, wh- when when do you hit that point? Um, I I thought about it for a really long time. Uh, the thing for me with comics early on was I I didn't know it was kind of a chicken or the egg sort of a question for me. It's like, are comic books written first, or do you draw them? And especially if you're you're the one generating both the story and the art, it it been still kind of a question in my mind. And a lot of my own stuff, I'll actually draw it out first, and then my script becomes kind of a description of things I've already drawn. Um, but that, you know, not knowing for sure and not having a writer to work with initially really curbed a lot of my early efforts uh, to the point I ended up getting more into animation instead. Um, but right around between 2016 to 2018, I came back around to comics. I was getting back into drawing, and I decided I'm going to launch my own webcomic. And I did this really terrible astronaut ninja comic i've kind of i revisited it in uh december sort of kind of redrawing some of the early story ideas that i had for that but uh it was right in 2018 i'd gone back to school to get my mfa in illustration because i wanted to be a professor uh i was working with uh kit seaton at cal state fullerton she was a professor there at the time uh she did uh norway with image um remember the other one I've got of hers, uh, very talented artist. Uh, and she gave me the encouragement. She said, you know, there's no reason you can't be working professionally while you're doing work for school. And then right around the same time, I ran into uh, Marco Finnegan at uh, the Apple store where I was working at the time. And he was telling me that he got the, the majority of his paid work through Twitter. Uh, and up to that point, I hadn't really been on there at all. So I jumped on Twitter about a week later. I kind of said, hey, uh, I'm a comic book artist. This is what I do. And within two weeks, I'd landed two paid jobs. And it's kind of snowballed from there. Wow. Um, yeah, it, it has, I mean, how has social media, you think, and being on Twitter, like, impacted uh, the work? I mean, has that been as much as people can complain about the negatives of social media, has, have you found like a benefit? Cause I've seen you be fairly active in the indie comics community. Yeah. I, I mean, there, there's certainly a ton of negativity on there I, and you know, you don't have to look very hard or, or far to find it. Unfortunately. Um, that was one of the things I kind of decided early on with it was I wanted to be at least 
I'm going to say overwhelmingly positive, but I, I wanted the majority of what I did to be positive on there. I had a um, an anonymous account for Twitter uh, that I was getting really heavy into political stuff uh, around around the same time, and it was having a, a noticeable difference on my my overall demeanor at home and with people. I was going into this sort of like that, just kind of a downward spiral of hopelessness, and. So I, I logged that account out. I logged in with my personal one and said, okay, I'm me. I make comics. I'm a positive guy. And it went really well. I, I mean, it, it was, you know, kind of the jobs were few and far between to begin with. But, you know, each one sort of recommends you for the next as long as, you know, you, you do a, a good job with it. Uh, and it introduced me to a lot of different people. I mean, yourself included. Um, and Matt, comic book Yeti, the, the whole thing. And, right. you know, it, the, I think the 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 really crazy part w- when I first came on, it was um, Comicsgate was really starting. I, I'd never heard of it before, and I think it was still fairly new. I would say right around 2018, and it was one of those things I just didn't. Sorry about that. It looked like oh, you no kicked me off. I thought I said I, when I said comics hit. I thought I cursed it or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it just kicked me off right then. Um, let me make sure it's still recording. Oh, it is. It's still recording. All right. Well, I will have to let Byron. That's all right. We'll keep all this in. <laughs> For the folks at home, this is how the sausage is made sometimes. Right. Internet connection kicks you off in any event. So uh, you were just talking about. um, Yeah, uh, it was uh, just kind of it was a mad shuffle of different different people I was meeting at the time because I I didn't I didn't know friend from foe necessarily. And and I I don't it's one of those things that I, I try to do at all times is assume positive intent from people at least until I know no sure. otherwise. And, you know, sometimes that comes back to bite you in the butt. I'd say for the vast majority of times, though, um, an assumption of positive intent, you know, it, it can help you sort of parse out misunderstandings when they happen versus leaning into them and letting letting a lot of drama unfold. Um, but, yeah, that, it was an interesting time uh, just because of that shuffling of, you know, I didn't know comics get good comics get bad you know who's who and and what's what and you know the longer i've been around the more people i've worked with the more projects i've done uh, and things like that the it's become a lot more clear um but but yeah early on it was it was sort of a rough environment to to navigate um you know emotionally intellectually as i was you know kind of accruing new followers and uh making new work to show and Yeah, I mean that. I mean that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, even from our, well, I won't speak for anybody else. From my perspective, like you never know who's anyone can follow you for the most part on Twitter, which is really the only social media platform, you know, I'm I'm involved in for this for 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 comic book yeti. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and like you see somebody's Twitter handle, and you know it's a when we get books and things to review or people to interview, it's uh, sometimes it's a pain in terms of like having to do due diligence. Cause you'll, you'll sure 
recommend something and somebody else will then contact you and you'd be like, you know, this person did A, B, C, or D. I'm like, no, I, I didn't. I didn't do a whole background check, but um, like, um, yeah, sometimes you, you, know this, but that's you have to. Yeah. No, it, it's, it, it's a lot to, and I think that's the other downside of social media is kind of as a distraction and, you know, for somebody working freelance like myself, um, there's that balance of the time you spend making the work versus the time you spend marketing the work and, and being on there and kind of maintaining friendships or correspondence and getting new work out there as it develops uh, or as it can be put out. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I've I've got on my iPad right now that I've been working on recently that I can't necessarily show everybody just yet because of release dates or right. you know, project restrictions. And, um, so, you know, for a lot of that too, I, I started doing, um, like my samurai stuff was, was pretty popular initially when I came on and then I saw, um, it was a commission that somebody had, um, gotten from Joshua Hickson, um, the a big fan of his work after seeing, uh, Shanghai red in particular, that was, oh, yeah. that came out right around the time I was starting to kind of go pro and I really loved his style in that. And, um, he'd done a rocketeer piece for somebody I'm like, Oh man, I completely forgot the rocketeer existed. So I made a, like a two, three panel rocketeer page and it kind of blew up. And I'm like, okay. So I made a couple more and then I end, I've got like 10 or 12 pages in this sort of unfolding rocketeer story that I work on. It seems like maybe once a year anymore, but uh, the rocketeer stuff got popular and it, you know, it, it ended up being sort of like a calling card for more work. Like, Hey, I saw those rocketeer pages. Can I hire you to do this book? Uh, and then more recently um, I've been doing those, um, the Sandman tarot cards as just kind of a personal project to deal with, I would say personal issues, but it's my, my response to a series that I love and um, my way of sort of connecting with it and then putting something else out into the world from that. Yeah. Yeah. And for anyone listening who isn't, you know, uh, familiar, um, I, I, it's on your website, the art, of uh, yeah. uh, the art of, a uh, uh, chic, um, the whole Sandman tarot card project is there. It's, I think it's some of my favorite stuff that I've seen that, that you, you, um, you have done, I mean, matching up the different characters with the different cards how you've laid everything out i mean it's very it, it really captures i feel like the 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 essence of the characters and um it, they're, they're just very they're, everyone is just beautiful um it's it's fantastic so anyone who hasn't seen it you have to go check it out especially if you're someone like me or or jay who's done it uh is a sandman fan they really are wonderful uh wonderful pieces I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, there. If you're going to the site, it's just uh, jchic.com, J-S-C-H-I-E-K. It's uh, top left. Can't miss it, but I need to get it updated. In fact, I've got a lot of work I need to put up there that I haven't. Some of those projects go back quite a ways now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are still a couple of very interesting projects that you've uh, done. I like how you have your, your website set out where you have some of the projects and then on like, the right side, you talk about them. Um, 
you know, even some of the the commission work, the last flight of the Phoenix one, I think is a very beautiful, like uh, uh piece that you've done on there. Um, yeah, thank you. So. Yeah, that, that was a, uh, that was an interesting one. The, um, the client had, had asked me to do a piece for her father uh, and his, his older brother had um, disappeared over the Bermuda Triangle back in the late 1940s, I think it was. And um, she had a lot of these documents that had been sent to the family from the Navy around the time of the disappearance, kind of explaining, OK, we found the plane, but there was nobody on it. it I guess it had landed on an atoll or something down there near the Bahamas. And um, it was going to be a poster initially, and then I got to thinking about it. I'm like, ah, just too much story to this, so I, I turned it into like a one-page, nine-panel grid thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's yeah. a very um, it's a very nice piece, um, and it, it it packs a lot of visual storytelling um, into it. Thank you. So I wanted to talk more so about like your your process in terms of how like when you get a script, like how do you actually start and, and dig in and, and like what's like the first thing you do when you get a script that somebody has given you? Um, like, where do you start? Uh, I start with one like a like kind <laughs> of a just happy giggly dance. Um, and then immediately whatever kind of file it is, PDF, Word. I send it over to Notability on my iPad and I keep like an archive in there. I I started doing folders so I could keep them organized. I don't really do that anymore because usually I'm only working with the first 10 line items in there anyway. And um, initially I, I just do a complete read through just so I know what the story is. I get an idea of what the demands are going to be artistically. You know, like, oh, okay, this has got a scene of an architecturally accurate Manhattan in rush hour with completely accurate looking cars and all of the drivers are anthropomorphic horse people then i know i need to have <laughs> that project um <laughs> but you know i get i get a sense of the artistic demands of it a bit so i can start thinking ahead like oh, i really need to get started now you know this if i know what the deadline is or if it's you know open-ended or whatever um right. and i'll as i afterward you know i've read the script i've got an idea of the story and i'm jumping in then i go back to the same notability file and i'll just do a little thumbnail to get my my panel sizes down for how it's going to flow as far as um you know just the panel to panel stuff i've got an idea of the count and i'm measuring the action of each described panel for you know it's story weight the the types of actions that are occurring and i'm starting to think like okay how can I use the directional aspects of the action to lead the eye more cleanly through the page so you have a better sense of flow as you're reading it? It'll you know, like a guy throwing a punch. I can angle it so that that punch angles down to the next panel that you're supposed to read or something like that. Or, you know, depending on that, like left to right action, you know, like in Western uh, Western culture, we read things left to right, top to bottom. And it's one of those things that was always recommended right you know i'd see like in these how to make comics videos you know you have your protagonist facing left to right your antagonist going right to left is sort of like a, a subtle counter uh you know i'm thinking about stuff like that but um once i have the the panel layout i jump into clip studio paint and i make the the official version of it in there get all the panels dropped in and i just go to town 
Um, I, I usually work the same, same, same as reading order. I don't really jump around so much like, oh, panel seven sounds like more fun to draw than panel one. So I start at the end or something. It's usually just, I, I eat my vegetables and I eat my dessert. <laughs> that's a, that's a great way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, in terms of some of the projects and some of the work that I've, I've, uh, scene of yours um has there been anything that has been like more you know memorable for you in terms of some like work for hire stuff that you've done like is there anything that you think stands out that is like wow i'm really glad that i was able to to be a part of that project i mean i know we, we've talked about hallowed north and i was just wondering if there were yeah so i've seen a lot of uh, shorts that you've done um and i was just wondering if there's anything that you think really let you kind of go to town in terms of there, what you like to do there have been a few um a lot of that the work that i that kind of stands out to me is it's stuff i've done in connection with a website called hyper epics uh i got kind of got started with them uh tom hoover the editor there hit me up kind of out of the blue 2018 2019 and i did this three-page story called slaying the debt and it was um if you're not familiar with Hyper Epics, just to kind of yeah. see what that is, it's a it's a web comic site and it it features three page comics. Uh, but what's cool about it is it's a more immersive experience because Tom has a musician who will write a piece of music that's timed to the reading speed of the comic or, or roughly. So while you read it, you have this oh, wow. this emotional beat of the music that sort of corresponds to it, uh, yeah. and sometimes it, it it's you know, depending on your internet speeds, the the audio may load faster than the visuals. I've had issues with that, but when it clicks, it's it's like, oh man, that it's you feel your heart rate changing on some of them when you read them. Uh, but uh, I done this the slaying the debt piece, which was a lot like um, if you've seen Stephen King's uh, Running Man, the sure. you know, the game show thing where these yep you know capital crimes prisoners are left to kill each other. This is more like a um, like capital crimes in the financial sense. Like this guy has this extreme debt, and the idea is you can go on TV and fight somebody else who also has extreme debt. And if you kill that person, your debts are forgiven, um, all in three pages, which was was kind of nuts. But uh, it led to to further stuff. Um, Joe Donahue and I did I think three different stories for them. A uh, couple of zombie stories and um, just another sort of like the the Bloody Mary and the mirror kind of horror story. And then that in turn led to, um, I mean, th those being memorable in themselves because drawing zombie comics is a lot of fun. Um, but there was another, um, around the same time, I'd introduced Tom and another writer friend of mine named uh, Armand Boudreau, works out of Georgia. He's also a professor. And he had a, an idea for a comic series called St. Regal. And he's sort of like a kind of like amalgam Batman, Daredevil, Punisher sort of character um, who targets specifically like human traffickers. And we did one story. The response was really positive. And now we've done, I think, four or five of them. I got about 15 pages of St. Regal stuff up. Uh, it was getting to the point where it, um, it even has its own section on, on the hyper epic site. Now there's a whole St. Regal area where all those comics are collected. Uh, and that's something we've been looking oh, for. Nice. 
doing a little bit bigger, but um, it was another one of those things kind of like getting behind awareness of bipolar disorder with hallowed North, you know, getting awareness behind this, this horrible thing that's happening. Um, I mean, even today's society of people being trafficked and sold into, I mean, basically slavery uh, and being able to give some voice to that. And in a way that, you know, it's, I'm saying entertaining in a sense you're, you know, you're seeing um, almost like a revenge fantasy unfold in a comic. Uh, but, right. you know, it's, it's something I can, I can feel good about when I'm done, done drawing it. Like it, it's got, oh, wow. got a more purpose to it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to have to check that out. I haven't seen those, but that sounds, that sounds awesome. I love the the music aspect being timed to some of the comics and, um, there's a I lot mean, of really uh, good stuff up there. I, I, I mean, it's, it's, there's, I mean, tons. I mean, you could, you could probably lose yourself in there for several hours reading it all. Nice. Well, I mean, uh, I can always find a, I can always, if I can find the time. But I can definitely get, get lost in, um, in reading, in reading some comics. Um, you know, so, but it now, you know, after the Hallowed North campaign wraps up, what um is there are there things you can talk about that are on the horizon uh for you that you're working on? Um, whether I can or I can't, I'm going to. <laughs> okay. Um I just finished I, like that. A, I, I it's it's gonna be a pretty big year. Uh so Hallowed North two is I'm of course pending. Um I just finished a uh book called the wonderland conundrum uh with uh chuck sofel um it's 26 pages uh basically sherlock holmes meets alice in wonderland uh black and white comic with kind of uh color highlights in certain certain spots uh that's art art's completely done i think they're they're finishing up the lettering and then that's ready to do whatever whatever chuck has planned for it next oh wow. uh, i also got a graphic novel that's rolling forward with uh, Dead Sky uh, Press, I think, or Dead Sky Pub. Um, they're fairly new. Um, Steve Wands is the writer on that one. We started it as a pitch a couple years ago. Um, fun, like 120-ish page horror book. Uh, I think that's oh wow! All, all in one. I we I done a bunch of pages initially. Um, so it's about it's a little over 10% done right now. Um, but that, that's going to be, uh, I think sometime next year when that finally comes out and let's see, what was the other one? Uh, Mario Candelaria and I are doing, uh, one true love. I think that's going to be broken up into a couple of parts. Um, but there will be some, some more on that coming, I think beginning of August. I think we're looking for a, uh, Memorial day launch or labor day, whichever oh, it is wait. in September. Yeah, September's Labor Day. So, oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So there's that one, and I think I'm sure I'm missing something. I've got another one going. I just finished the inks on today for Hyper Epics. It's a three-page uh, standalone story, kind of based mm -hmm. in uh, the old fantasy comics of the 1970s. So I kind of went with those aesthetics for the look, and I'm I'm starting in on colors on that right now, and. Uh, I'm sure there's another one I'm overlooking, but that that's all that comes. To, oh, wait, no, you know what? Another horror book with. Um, sorry, I'm like. I don't know. I'm having trouble with 
you're saying with with last names a minute or when we got started it's like that's where i'm at now too <laughs> uh is there matthew wilding um we've got a um another horror book that we've done, done some pitch pages for uh that might looks like that's going to be moving forward pretty soon as well so it's the drawing board's filling up fast and yeah, yeah. it's looking I, I'm, I'm gonna have a lot of work to do this year <laughs> <laughs> is it hard to you know is it is it hard to budget your time in terms of you know working working on comics you know having a family is it, it like yeah when, how do you manage you know all of that you know ironically it was actually it seems like it was easier back pre-covid when i was still working more or less full-time at apple and going to school full-time i feel like i was my productivity for comics was a lot higher even with those like massive like chunks of time being eaten up out of the week because then yeah. covid hit and i was working from home and it's like my five-year-old's pretty demanding uh we just moved to a, a new house that's on a much bigger and more rural piece of property up here in idaho uh i mean it's great i love it and a lot of the the big heavy stuff is now taken care of you know like electricity we've got water on an even keel now but a lot of the a lot of the systems that you know you would you would take with like a turnkey house just weren't in place yet um certainly not when we bought it and not completely when we moved in um oh wow you know, i got the the lights on they stay on which is great i don't have to run a generator for anything um but yeah, it's it's kind of coming back around. I had some issues with it uh, in the midst of this big move that we did. Uh, we we sold our house in September of last year. Uh, we were living down in Southern California, kind of between Orange County and San Diego, and got I mean we sold it for an enormous profit over what we bought it for back in 2011. Uh, so much so that we were able to buy this house that I'm in right now and the 10 acres it sits on for cash, uh, which oh, is wow. great yeah yeah but the the trouble was that we didn't move in right away uh because we didn't want to deal with uh you know the winters up here can be pretty extreme in this past one they got something like four or five feet of snow uh whereas two to three feet is is usual and so we wintered with my parents in sacramento um you know which is where i'm kind of from originally anyway it's it was my grandparents house and I, you know, thinking like, okay, this will this will work out all right. I can still do work while I'm here. And I, I did do some, but it there was a lot of chaos to that because uh, my sisters lived very nearby to my parents, and you know, they were over a lot. There'd be kids coming and going, just a just a lot of life intersecting in that place um, that I wasn't used to when we had our own place in Southern California. And now that we're we're up here, it's just my wife, my son, and I. You know, we we go out weekly to hang out with friends and do stuff. But for the most part, I'm here by myself and I've noticed my productivity is amping back up to where I can, you know, give comics the kind of time that it needs to be able to complete the stuff, I, the kind of things I've been talking about. But uh, for a while there, it, it was on really shaky ground. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would imagine, I mean, I, I find it hard to, to try and get work done, no matter what that, is my day job or comic book yeti stuff if i don't have you know i kind of need my own defined space um and you're an, if you're an attorney you know, right yeah yeah i'm an attorney during I, the I, day I, yeah that that's that's got to be a huge amount 
Yeah, I uh, I when the pandemic first happened, I could I, and every all the other younger attorneys, uh, younger than myself, worked. Um, were like, oh, we're working from home, and I'm like, I can't. I'll, I'm just going to keep going into the office because <laughs> I can't. I, I was like, sometimes it was there, and there were some of our support staff and like one other attorney, and I'm like, well, I'm staying away from folks, but um, I can't. I need my like space. I can't, I, I need that separation. So. Yeah. Um, I can, I can definitely identify with that. It, the, on the professor side of things, like losing my, my classroom and this like designated spot where I would go and meet with students. And then I would have to myself for office hours or things. And suddenly it's all in an application on a computer screen and trying to teach figure drawing that way was you know, virtually impossible. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, and so um, it, it sounds like things are uh, better now and your your productivity is, uh, I mean, through the roof, all the stuff it sounds like you have you have coming it's out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's um, yeah, no, I just in the, the last month I've completed. I mean, about as many pages in, in one month as it took me almost six months to complete when we were with at my parents' place. Uh, uh, and I was like a psychological thing of just like I was working at the end of the dining room table for the most part. And I, I don't know, it's ha having having one's own space, I think, is is uh, I, for, I mean, it sounds like it is for you, too. Uh, you know, but, but I know for me, it's, it's critical to, to success. Yeah, yeah, I, I, um, I, I have to, I have to have my, I have to have my space. I like to go. I mean, I deal a lot with anxiety. Um, not, uh, not to turn this into, a, 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 from a fun comics podcast to a, yes. a mental health <laughs> podcast, but like I, I deal with anxiety, and and um, I, uh, I, I just feel better, especially you know Monday mornings, uh, from the moment I get up until I'm in my office. Mm. is like the worst the worst part of the day and it doesn't matter what i have if i have court or depositions or you know just a couple of uh phone calls there's just something about once i'm actually physically present in my office that i i i just feel better um yeah i i are you do you find yourself uh are you are you would you describe yourself as more of an introvert i mean it did it, it I, I, it, it's, uh, it's, it's difficult for me to answer that question because I feel like I, 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 nobody would ever, ever describe me as an introvert. I was in, in theater in high school, in theater in high school and college. And I'm a, a, a litigator in terms of an attorney. So I, I am a trial attorney. Um, mm. And I now interview people on this podcast. So I don't think anyone would ever describe me as an introvert, but it just, it takes a lot of energy for me to do all of these things. It's just that I've, I've always done them and I've gotten used to it, but I've, you know, if, if I didn't push myself, I probably would just, you know, sit in my home and play with the kids and read comics and that, and that would be it. But, um, yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah. I, I just just curious too. Like my my wife is an extrovert. Like social stuff for her, like getting to meet up with friends and stuff, is how she recharges her batteries, as she puts it. And for me, it's right. like uh, I need to wander off 
for a couple of miles with nobody else there but me. And I, I think just the older I get, the more more introverted I seem to become. But you know, kind of the same thing. Um, I used to do a table hop doing close-up magic at my aunt and uncle's restaurant. I dabbled in stand-up comedy for a while. I've uh, never been terribly afraid of public speaking, but it's one of those things too. It's like, like you said, it's a tremendous outpouring of energy to do it. And then you need that space to recharge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, other social settings for me are, uh, and I don't think anyone would ever describe me this way, but internally are a bit of a nightmare. Um, like, like, like parties, large, Whoa. large group settings. I, I, I don't feel comfortable. I feel I'm a wreck until like I get into it. Um, you know, um, of course I, you would go somewhere and have like a couple of drinks and then it would be a totally different ball game. And then I'd feel sure. like, a normal person, but I, um, yeah, but then, you know, you have kids and I don't want to keep, uh, leaning on alcohol. I actually, I just finished, uh, I haven't had a drink in a whole year. <laughs> well, so. That's awesome. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I, I didn't, I, I haven't, I would say like I quit drinking. I, I stopped. Uh, I used to drink a lot like, um, before my son was born and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm down to about, well, I've had, probably a six pack this year, but I, I usually drink maybe one beer a year, but that was a big thing mm -hmm. with, with gatherings. It was like alcohol was the lubricant that got things like moving. And yeah, yeah. Sure. once you cut that out, it's sort of like, okay. Yeah. Like I doing, doing small talk at a, at a party or something is, is difficult for me until like it, you know, the conversation really gets going. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I just got to a point last year where it felt like, well, I've done this for, like 20 years now, you know, I mean, since college and, and I've, you know, uh, I just felt like I got up one day and I'm like, I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm 43 now. Well, 40, I was 40, 42 at the time. And I'm like, I'm tired. I've been drinking for 20 years. I just need a little bit of a break. And then it turned into a whole year. I didn't make any, you know, grand pronouncements. Like I'm never drinking again. I just said, I need a little break. And now the yesterday was a year. So that's awesome. I don't know man. what the, yeah, thanks. I don't know what the uh, future holds, but um, it felt good to accomplish that. It did. It felt like an accomplishment, you know. So, yeah. I, I think, I think it is. You know, you're you're exerting control over something that often takes control of its own. And I know I, yeah. uh, that's kind of what it was for me too. It was. I didn't identify as an alcoholic per se, or like going to AA meetings because I, I feel like that your life still gravitates around alcohol in those cases. It's just your on the other side of the bottle, but, um, and not to impugn it or anything. Cause I know it works well for a lot of people and has kept a lot of people oh, out yeah. of a lot of trouble. Um, and I think, you know, whatever, you know, keeps you, you and, and doing good things is in itself a good thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever works, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the program is or whatever the situation is that keeps people safe and, uh, I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but just to get back to, to comics, um, yes, do you still, do you, Maybe do you still have a time? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I said, I, I'm just saying, I didn't mean to derail things there. Sorry. Uh, no, no, yeah, I, we, I, 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 I think it's, you know, I mean, I think it's good to talk about these things. And, um, you know, I think the people who listen to this podcast, uh, I'm going to take a, a chance and say that I I bet they 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 appreciate 
the you know honest conversation about things. Um, so, <laughs> but you know, to, yeah, to, but to take it back to comics, do you still have time mm. to um, to read com? I mean, it's like to read for fun rather than reading a script because you're working on it or working on your own thing, whether or not it's art or or writing or teaching. Um, I mean, do you still have a chance uh, to pick something up and dig into it? I I do and I don't. It's more reading stuff that I've picked up in the past. It's kind of the downside of where I moved is that the nearest comic book store for me is actually about a two-hour drive. Um, so I haven't even made it out to one of the shops yet since we got here. Um, right. What I've been doing, though, I, I've got an enormous collection of graphic novels and floppies. I'm sitting next to two long boxes right now. And if you look behind me on the shelf there, I've got a couple of short boxes on my attic crawl space loaded with comics. And then in my, this is our, it's still getting unpacked, but this is going to be like the office slash spare bedroom. And I've got a, I built a couple sets of shelves up above the bedroom because there's that the same attic crawl space in there. And, you know, I've got a, a an enormous library to draw from of things that I've read. And there's a lot of stuff that I have that unfortunately I, you know, I got it with the idea of reading it and hadn't yet. So my big thing for reading, I'll usually read right at bedtime. And I've been tearing, well, I'll say tearing through, it's been going pretty slow, but I, I've been reading uh, Alan Moore's saga of the swamp thing. So I, I hit about midway through volume four right now. Okay. Uh, kind of enjoying that and seeing, seeing what that's, that's about having read, I reread From Hell this year. Um, I usually read Watchmen about once a year. I read a, a lot of Alan Moore's stuff. Is just this was that one area of his, like where he kind of got his start in mainstream comics uh, that I hadn't actually touched. And I have the the paperbacks up on my shelf. I ended up um, getting digital copies also that I just read on the iPad. So I've got a built in light source for reading. Um. But yeah, no, I try to. I, I wish I I did a little bit more reading because like, I feel like that that really does you know whether you're drawing comics or writing them, reading them really really informs the process. No matter the age of the comics, if it's something new or something you know even classic or uh, even bad comics, I think I think everything is in its own way sort of uh, you know helps bring forth new content. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, even if it's something that you're not you know, into, or maybe you think could have been executed better. It, it, it might teach you or show you something. And then, you know, comics that are done really well and you, you read something, um, like I'm a big fan of, um, James, uh, Tinian's and Martin Simmons, uh, the department, uh, Didier letter on the department of truth. And I mean, oh, yeah. that, I, I mean, sorry, it, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, that's just, I mean, it, just some fascinating uh, comics and um, in terms of some of the things that they have done in that comic, in terms of the story and the artwork, uh, have just been, you know, incredible. Yeah, Tin Tinian's got like the Midas touch these days. That I fell off the wagon about 10, 11 issues in on that one. That was around the time we, we made the move from SoCal to uh, Northern California. And I was going to A1 Comics and Carmichael there uh, picking up stuff, but on uh, kind of a reduced budget over what I'd been buying buying on before. So a few titles I I kind of cut out. I actually I'm excited tomorrow. My copy of that Texas Blood number 
16, I think, is arriving in the mail. That's been my nice. my comic book purchasing is going resorting to eBay and you know finding the few that I want. It, it ends up being twice as expensive because you have to shell out for shipping. But you know, since I only buy two or three titles a month now anyway, it's not that bad, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a good one to have. I just actually this um uh yeah, last weekend I just finished volume two of uh oh. of that Texas blood. Um so I I've, I've I've read uh, yeah, I've read volumes one and two. I love that series. It caught me by surprise when it came out. I, I thought it was a Brubaker book, just looking at the cover, and I saw uh uh Jacob Phillips' name on there and then made the connection of oh okay. Sean Phillips' son, and um, yeah, I've been a, a big proponent for that book. That's one of my, I think, one of the better series out there right now. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I I had, I think I had picked up issue one, just saw it on the shelf at the the, the my local. I'm lucky enough; I do have a, a comic book shop that's right down the street from me. Um, and I I think I'd pick up issue one just because it looked interesting. Uh, and I, I might've heard about it online and then, um, uh, but actually didn't get a chance to really read it until volume one was already done and collected. And I read volume one and then as a great I way just to read do volume it. two, not, not to try to detract from their monthly sales, but they're, they're definitely binge worthy books. Like it, it's, and that's kind of the hard part about reading it month to month is you get to the end of one, you desperately want more. And then it's a month's wait until you can get your next 20 to 30 pages, whatever it is. Yeah. And, and some, I mean, um, some, some books I really enjoy, but it is tough to, to read them, um, uh, monthly. Maybe it's my advanced age. Um, uh, but another, another, uh, Tinian book, the nice house on the lake. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I have to reread the past issue before I <laughs> read the new one to right. like, to, Cause there's so much packed in there. Um, and that's, that's got a another one thing going on with the cast too. You're not just like a handful of characters. Like you follow with, you know, something is killing the children or, um, department of truth. Yeah. Yeah. There's like, there's, you know, more than a few characters that are all, uh, lumped in. Um, and it's, uh, Alvaro, uh, Martinez, uh, a bueno, um, with, uh, I think, uh, Jordi, uh, Belair. Um, okay. And I just wanted to look that up to make sure I had it right, because that, that's a, a phenomenal series. That is. Yeah, I had the same problem with Walking Dead for years until it finally ended, surprisingly. And uh, that that's in terms of how many times I've read it, that's probably my favorite comic series. I, I've, I've read the whole thing probably close to a, about half a dozen times, honestly. Uh, but that that was the problem I had too, was just going month to month with that. And even when it went to twice a month, it was still the same thing. Like who was this guy? Oh yeah. Right. And I'd have to mm-hmm. miss things. Yeah. I am um, walking dead. Uh, the walking dead was one. I never, I haven't read all of, I, I, I actually, I read the last issue when it came out because I wanted to see how it all ended. Um, mm-hmm. but there's a big chunk in the middle that, um, I think I read. I think I read up to issue one hundred. That's that's what happened to me. It's when uh, oh, and the I, Walking it, Dead. It's been yeah. close to ten years, so I don't feel like it's a spoiler to say that you know when Negan kills Glenn, that yeah. soured me in the series. I hated Negan for doing that, 
And what surprised me, still surprises me, is that between issue 100 and 193, where it ends, somehow Negan ended up becoming my favorite character. Oh, yeah. I, I, go ahead. I, I, that's, I love a series that can do that to me. I think Game of Thrones did it with the Hound um, and Jamie Lannister, at least up until the last couple episodes of season eight. Um, but yeah, a, a writer that can take a character like that, make you hate them so utterly, and then mm-hmm. just craft it and spin it to the point where they become something. I don't know if I necessarily identify with the guy, but I can certainly sympathize with some of his aims and some of the mistakes that he made. But yeah. Yeah. I, um, I just, I remember that I, I'm pretty sure I read when, when I read issue 100, like in my personal life, I think my my wife was pregnant with our um our oldest daughter mm. and it 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 affected me in a way reading it affected me in a way that um uh, not many books or tv shows or movies have where i i i really had a uh, such a, a negative reaction to it and yeah. not necessarily in and of the story itself. It's 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 really well done. It's really emotional. But I I really felt like here is this character who was kind of in the same position I was in in terms of life events, other than the zombie apocalypse, and and just for like no reason, it was it was over for him, and yeah. um, it really messed with my like uh, anxiety and in, in terms of fears i had had anyway about becoming a dad and i couldn't i couldn't pick up another issue for no a couple I, of years <laughs> i wasn't i didn't have any kids at that point but there there have been other things that have done that for me like the uh the film adaptation of it um i watched that when my son was about six months old and the the opening scene uh that that messed me up for a good couple of weeks i i just having kids changes things it's a it's a whole other dynamic uh and the, oh, the yeah. lens through is is i i it changed changed things utterly yeah yeah i uh i i agree it it, it changes the you know my approach to how i interact with things and I mean, like in terms of different types of media in terms of the things that i used to love and seeing them through my kids eyes or things that i thought were great and then like looking at them again now being a dad it it, it does it, it it changes my perception and and how i take some of those things in and you know yeah um, I, I, when you said that i'm like oh man yeah if, if my son had been on the way when i read issue 100 i don't think i ever would have finished the series um but i did i, I did read the last issue so yeah it's just that <laughs> Um. All right. Well, Jay, I don't want to keep you, but I, uh, no I really appreciate my my pleasure. It's been great talking with you. This is this has been a lot of fun. Yeah. So, um, a couple of unexpected turns, but man, um, I've really enjoyed this. And um, so, uh, I know you've mentioned a couple of things, but other we have you. Uh, I'll put a link in the the show notes in terms of uh, your website, your Twitter handle. Where else can people find you, and 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 what else you have going on? I occasionally post things to Instagram. Um, I get a I put a bit of my photography up there. 
uh, along with artwork. I, I kind of laid off of Instagram once I started finding paid work through Twitter because Instagram just I, I haven't I've yet to get anything professional from that. Um, so I, I I just backed out of it for the most part. So yeah, my website, Twitter, um, that's mostly it for social media, unless you're looking me up on LinkedIn or something like that, which I don't necessarily recommend. But if you need somebody for a professoring job, <laughs> that's that stuff's at. Um and yeah, yeah. I it's I, I try to be as active as I can on Twitter and interacting with people and posting new art and um that dominates most of the, the time I have available for, for social media stuff. And right. Uh, all right. And um, yeah, I, I recommend everybody first thing, as soon as you're done listening to this, go to uh, Jay's website and look at the Sandman tarot cards um, and then be sure to follow him on Twitter. So you can find out uh, when some of this stuff that he's mentioned coming out in terms of uh, books with, um, you know, some other indie creators that we featured on comic book Yeti. Um, yeah, it sounds like, uh, it sounds like it's going to be a, a big and exciting year. I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, uh more of your stuff. So that sounds great. I'm looking forward to making it. <laughs> nice. Um, all right. Well, uh, for comic book Yeti's cryptid creator corner, this is, uh, Jimmy Gasparro and, uh, Thank you very much for listening. Be sure to you know tell your friends and say nice things about us on social media. Um, uh, thanks for listening, and uh, I'll see you next time. Thanks a lot, Jay. Thank you. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we're doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Galvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg, but their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're gonna get 180 pages of entertainment, action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Metahuman Affairs or DMA and check it out right now.